Hey, Bailey. <laughs> Hi. Shana, 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 shana. I mean, she actually can't even do it anymore. She doesn't do it anymore because she got, like, claimed because it was, like, a little tune off of um, the Paris Hilton and Nicole Richie show, like, 15 years ago. No shit, I didn't know that. Yeah, that's why she stopped doing it. I didn't know that. Yeah. Anyways, hi. Hi. <laughs> Happy Friday. Let that be a um, a hint of what's to come today. Um, so we do have our window open, um, which is fine, but like, we're all going to die. Oh, you're worried about the air quality. Oh, I'm not worried. I mean... If I was worried, if I was that worried about the air quality, I would go, like, buy a gas mask, <laughs> slit my throat. I like. mean, the fan is on and it's, like, blowing it out. So maybe that's, that'll help. I did get a little, um, I mean, I guess I truly didn't know, like, the definition of what it, like, really meant with, like, the smoke coming this way from Canada. But I did feel a little uneasy after hearing the term, like, microparticles. Yeah, I mean, you don't really think about... You're so... We're so far away, right? Yeah. You, it's not... Yeah. Really a second thought. Yeah. We're, like... We're, we're living in, like, a sepia tone. You know what we're fucking living in? Um, what's that scary movie? Um, Twilight? No, no. <laughs> <laughs> God... <laughs> Bless America. What is that scary movie where they go into the other world? Um, it's so it's so old now, but like it's still such a cult classic. I have no idea what the um, fuck you're talking about. I can't think of it. Uh, dead air, dead air, dead I air, know, dead air. <laughs> What is the one where I think it was a video game? She like goes into the other world to find her daughter. Scary movie set in sepia tone. Where she <laughs> goes to find her daughter. Where she goes to find her daughter. Dude, I just had it in my head. Ah, uh, si Silent Hill. Oh my Silent god. Silent Hill. So Shut they up. go into the other world and it's like all sepia toned yeah. and like foggy mm -hmm. and shit. We're like literally living in Silent Hill. No, we're not. But okay. Um, I don't know. Maybe because listen, weird may shit not be has happened. Listen, yeah, that's true. It may not be the hill creatures, but eventually, the lab-grown meat will turn into one. Yeah, yeah. Um, and you know, the plants will start fighting back. What zombies do you prefer? Listen, okay. So here's like my thing. Like, there's like a running conversation about like the zombie apocalypse happening. Mm -hmm. One zombie's you're like okay to live in the world with, and other ones you're just gonna off yourself day fucking one. I'm gonna off myself on um, World War Z. I'm gonna off myself on the fucking ones that run. <laughs> the Walking Dead. And like the screeching kind. Yes. Yeah. The Walking Dead, I'm fine. Yeah. Like, I could survive. Find me a Daryl. Well, I haven't have not but <laughs> I mean. There's like a high chance that at least within the first week one of us is gonna die. Like, That's true. I mean That's very true. Like the chances of like a couple staying intact during the zombie apocalypse is like slim to none. 
Um, and I'm just gonna say, I feel like I would survive over Evan. Yeah. Hundred percent. Yeah, I'm confident in that. Who would you would TJ survive or you? Um. Yeah, probably TJ. TJ is a preparer. He's a prepper. He's a prepper. He wants a hole in the ground, like. As long as I'm within like 25 miles <laughs> of it, I'm fine. Um, yeah, he's a prepper. He's a yeah. doomsday prepper. He's he's watched all the shows. He him and his mom both used to be huge Walking Dead fans. Yeah. Um, he watched. Um, there was like a spinoff of Walking Dead where it was like a reality TV show of like doomsday like okay the apocalypse has happened they take these people out into the world or whatever and like okay apocalypse has happened survive and um kind of like mimic some uh like mad max shit of like okay well now you're being attacked what are you gonna do okay you don't have any you have no food you have no water what are you gonna do survive so he watched a bunch of that shit growing up oh yeah jesus um he we're I think we're, we both, for my own reasons, but for his prepping reasons, he wants to do, like, food prepping and, like, just, I, I mean, know. all of it. Inflation so, is a little too high for yeah, no Like, my three cans of corn in my... is $72? Yeah. Yeah. I mean, I... I don't know. Um, and then we did also just talk about today about getting our passports, so... Yeah? Mm-hmm. I have a 10-year passport. You do? Mm-hmm. Yeah, I just went ahead and got the 10-year one. How do you do that? Well, previous, in 2018, when I got it... No, 2019... Damn, that was 2019? Wait a minute. When did I go to Honduras? In 2019. Um, you can get a 3-year passport or a 10-year one. Hmm, I didn't know that. Yeah, so why wouldn't you just like go do the tenure? Why yeah, you, I think it costs a little bit more money. Yeah, but, um, yeah, but passports take so much longer to get now. Um, I cut it pretty close to the wire with Honduras. I don't know why <laughs> I waited that long. I think I was just like still like so unconvinced that I was actually going. Right. Um, but yeah, so we we are we are living in dark times, um, which it's so funny. Like when I see all like the TikTok videos about this, like people from like the pacific northwest are like losers you know like we've been doing this for years you right. know what i mean um but it is it is very interesting for sure i mean natural disasters are real um you know they happen like clockwork every fucking year yeah and more um, and more every like year. forest fires you know what yeah. i mean i mean that's been a thing you know yogi bear and blah 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 um but yeah so anyways kayla what's new Ain't shit, homie. Um, I don't know. We just we just dived, dove <laughs> so dove dived dove so far. Still survived, unlike the five. Which I mean, air is expensive. So yeah, I mean, it's it I costs it costs me some bucks to live. So um, nothing. Just I feel like this is the kind of week where it's just like a filler. Does that make yeah. sense? Yeah. Like, we were super, 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 super down and dirty um, <laughs> with our episode last week, which was great. Yeah. Was it was a lot of fun. It's my ice maker. Oh. Um, lots of noises today, listeners. But, um, yeah, this week is kind of like blah. Like, we're coming up on holiday weekend. Um, are you taking any time off for the holiday? 
Uh, Do you have Monday or Tuesday off? I have the fourth off. You have Tuesday? Yeah. So do so. we, but I just took, I took, like, why the fuck would I just go in on Monday? Like, that's I'm gonna true. have a full four days. Yeah, and I watched this TikTok recently where they were like, um, there was like a debate of having which day off is better, Friday versus Monday. Monday, hands down, is better to have off for me, like, personally. Yeah. Yeah. Because, like, once Friday comes, like, it's already... Like, you're already done. Yeah. But if you have Monday off, yeah. and it's kind of like a, like a super, like a nice refresher, you yeah. know? And then, okay, well then, yeah, it sucks to go back on Tuesday, which is really Monday, but by the end of Tuesday, you realize, shit, it's Wednesday. Yeah. Week's almost done. Yeah. Like, it's easy. I'm in and out. Good There's go. something about the five days of the work week that is like a huge... Like, a huge mental push. Yeah, it is. And yeah. that's why so many other countries, other than the United States of America, um, have done so much research into the mentality of it. Yeah. Into how it affects Well, humans. we're not the only country in the world that does the five-day work week. No, you're right. We're not. However, other how, countries I mean, are stinginess, sure. much more lenient. Right, right. I definitely do think that things are changing. I mean, like anything, it's just a slow fucking process. Hang on one second. Okay. So, so creepy caller. Cre- creepy caller. Um, so there is something going on with Kayla. Um, it's been in the works for a bit, but you are possibly moving. Hopefully by before September 30th when <laughs> my lease ends. Right. Um, I mean, we still have a decent amount of time, but I understand the, like, urgency. Yeah. But it's so... like I mean, me and Kaylee into, have like, looked all summer, so... Right. Before we get into, like, what I brought prepared to the pod, like, the shit that you have been telling me... And, like, Evan and I have been in our rental for three years. Like, we'll probably um, be in at least for another year or so. Yeah. And... But I do remember, like, living out in the Valpo area it's like a fucking rat race like it's sharks in the water and it's chumming it up it's not even the brightest sharks in the the water like i truly i cannot count on my hands how many times i've told kaylee this is not how it's done yeah where the fuck are these people coming from no yeah and how can they get away with this yeah so I've done a lot of renting in the past. I've rented alone. I've rented with a roommate. You know, I've now rented with my husband. Um, the shit that you've told me, I've, like, it's crazy. And, you know, I don't know. Don't maybe, get me wrong. There's nuances to everything. Yes, There's yes. especially... Trends change. Right. Like, you know, cost and inflation is a huge thing. But, the like, just the experiences that you have had is like somebody who's like hey like I have a couple of months you know we want to be on a list like yeah. we want to like you know commit to this and you know have a date and blah 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 it's like it is crazy like the experiences that you're having is trying to just rent well the first place that we looked at was a literal fucking scam and the house was cute and we told her that she was talking to us about she was complaining about having to um put 
grass seed down because the previous tenant had a lab that used the yard as a yeah. lab does, as any fucking animal does. And you're putting... I feel like we're getting weird background noise. We're, like, you're making it clear that animals are okay. Right. Right. So then we say, oh, the okay, like not a problem whatever Kaylee just got just adopted a new dog and we tell we go to tell she asks and so we go to tell her well it's border we think she's border collar border collar terrier mix this is what her papers say, say. and she and we barely even got terrier out of her mouth and she said oh so she's a pit bull no she's not it doesn't say anywhere in her documentation that's uh, that's what she is she's a terrier mix and we're pretty sure she's a she's a collie terrier yeah and she goes, well, you know, insurance, um, they just want want us to be cautious. Yeah. Whatever, lady. So we go, to, we check out this house or whatever. It's a cute old Valpo house. It's got a lot of character. It's, it's pretty cute. Um, and so we fill out the application. We send it to her and we give her all the information. A couple days later... We both get confirmation that she's contacted our current landlords, which we knew was a part of the case. She was going to contact for rental history and stuff. And then probably I think the next day after that, we got a group text between me, Kaylee, and the landlord. And it was this huge list of um, renter expectations of if you are serious, this is what you need to do. And in that list was Freya, Kaylee's dog, couldn't um, use the, the enclosed backyard by herself. Um, she had to be on a leash at all times. She, uh, we would have to water down and or pick up her poop right after she used the bathroom out there. Um, we both would need renters insurance, which we do. That's typical. Um, we would need to make sure that the yard is uh maintain um and clean at all times and um she expected thirty three hundred dollars at signing also at the end of this text message she said the other 12 applicants that came on sunday also received this same text message first come first serve um whoever gets here first with cash or a cashier's check with my name on it gets the place <laughs> Okay. Yeah, I'm not going to be, like, sprinting through the streets of Valpo to, like, come sign up for this house. For $3,500. Right. No, thank you. Um, and then just this past weekend, Kaylee and I went on Sunday to a house out in Chesterton. And um, they want somebody to move in on Friday. On the 1st. <laughs> and because their last tenant was a truck driver and skipped out on the rest of his lease and they don't they just want somebody to pay the rent for the first of the month they don't care and then when we walked the we walked the house um they had none of there was no face plates on any of the outlets and stuff um she said that they had just done painting and it didn't smell like paint in there um, but the floor, the carpets were fucking wrecked. There was a shit stain in the middle of it somewhere. There was, yeah. it was something. And she goes, don't worry about the carpets. We're going to have a carpet cleaner guy come out here in a couple of days and it should be done by Thursday. 
there's no way you're getting all of that out with a fucking Stanley carpet cleaner. Yeah. You need to replace, you have to replace the carpet. Yeah. And like, you know, you guys have been, you and Kaylee have been talking about this for a while. Like I went and seen one of the possible rentals with you guys. Yeah. And I think generally if you are a renter, there has to be some concessions that you know that you're going to oh, absolutely. like you are not buying a home right. you are not flipping a home there are certain yeah. things when you are renting that you just have to be okay with yeah um but there's some stuff and i can kind of you know attest to this too when me and evan moved into our apartment which we love i walked in and i'm like for the amount of money that we're paying for this place that we just signed off on you couldn't even have brought a fucking vacuum through here yeah. like we spent one whole day, it, it was me and a friend of mine at the time, like, scrubbing the floors of this apartment before me and Evan moved in. I believe it. There was one house that um, I saw online in Chesterton, literally right down the street for the one that Kaylee and I went to on Sunday. Um, and it said it was a reduced rental listing of, like, $800 a month. And it says you sign with the house in its condition as is so they must have got complaints and of life. Um, it no needs tlc in this in this listing it says it needs some tlc it needs to be cleaned it needs this it needs some repair work hence the reduced renter price so they're having somebody come in at a discounted price as a fucking handyman correct hoping that they're going to make the changes and then you know and then what's going to happen in a year you're going to up upsell the rent right. because they've done all this work and right. now it's worth what it's worth right how fucking shady is that like that's so fucked yeah. up i had seen that's different that's totally different than if it was a right to own yeah if it was a right to own that's completely different i don't even know i don't even know if like we're in a market these days for rent to own mm -hmm. i really haven't heard of rent to own in at least three to four years yeah. um but i had seen a tiktok a few months ago that like it really made sense to me of a realtor and somebody in like the loan business and like who knows how to sell homes and you know finances and stuff was like a lot of realtors and landlords are really fucking themselves over right now yeah for kind of getting into this rat race and being like i'm gonna up the rent 50 percent yeah when i would normally only do it 10 percent right you know because our rent got raised yeah um our rent was only being raised for the first two years it was 25 dollars, and he wanted to up it a hundred dollars this year this and i texted time, him yeah. and i'm like are like that's it might not seem like a lot to you but it's a lot to us yeah you know and what that's I mean? coming from a two-person income household yeah. Landlords are doing the exact same thing to one-income yeah. households. Now imagine being a one-income household with four kids. Yeah. You're fucked, bro. Yeah. You don't have a choice other than to go to go on to fucking Section 8. Exactly. And then... Which could take months. Which... Years. If, yeah. If... And then... Who's to say you'll even get accepted? Okay, so, we're yeah. back again. Sorry. Um... Yeah, sorry if there was a lot of background noise. I just closed the window. I mean, it is a nice breeze outside. I mean, you know, nice breeze, uh, micro particles in our lungs, <laughs> whatever, trade-off. So, so yeah, it's it's definitely seeming like a little bit of a shit show for you guys. But, you know, as I've kind of, like, said before, like, you, 
you're not in like a dire need like you're not getting kicked out of your place currently. no not at all i'm just trying to i'm trying we're trying to save money like right splitting everything in half is wonderful um and just like i told my landlord when she said that she wanted that she's trying to she's going to raise the rate in september um that the only thing that's hasn't been increased with this inflation bullshit is income so yeah. i don't have the income to right. spend for another hundred dollar increase yeah yeah that's two hundred dollars in less than a year and a half well you know what kayla if you stop going yeah. to Starbucks. I don't leave my house, Nicole. It, no, she for real does not leave her house. <laughs> so, you know, we're kind of getting into like, I hope boomers really feel like fucking losers for Listen. the fact that like they've told us, they've told millennials for the past 10 years that we're poor because of our own lifestyle. But now it's in your face that you're seeing even on your income yeah. that milk is three dollars right. a gallon i you know what though i did recently see that eggs went down yeah i um, did see did you also know that boomers now are getting free education are they going to jail <laughs> there's, there's free educational courses for over certain age or whatever like in universities yeah you know what i'm not gonna lie it might not be a bad thing because with the majority of the fucking boomers and um Maybe they'll get educated. Or some of the dumbest fucking people oh shit. that you know I've what? ever met in my fucking life. I really hope they're they're not surprised when nobody visits them in the nursing homes. No. No. I mean we you know, we've talked about our parents. I mean <laughs> a lot of them are not gonna get visited. Um probably won't even move them into the nursing home. But yeah, find somebody to do that. Like, you know, you can't figure out how to put a password into your fucking iPhone. <laughs> like, you know, so fucking annoying. I get so sick of fucking old people. I'm not going to get on, you know, people will call me ageist. I don't really give a fuck. Like there, there are certain shit with old people that I've talked about on the podcast before. I think after like literally, I think we're fucked that people can literally not retire at 65. Like, there was a reason why the age was set at 60 fucking right. five. Okay? Yeah. I think if you are still in the workforce, like, we're fucked that people financially cannot retire because we have inadequate people in the workforce who are so fucking old, they cannot grasp something new to save their goddamn lives. Like, oh my God. Yeah. Anyways. 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 Sha 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 Tell me who died. <laughs> that's how we're gonna leave with this 21 21 yeah can you do something for me? <laughs> so we're gonna get to the meat of this episode um instead of just us complaining about life we we could though we do and we could hmm. dude i think i'm getting plantar fasciitis in my other foot that's possible and i you know why i think it's because my hardwood floors probably yeah yeah easily and i wear slippers like i wear shoes like i wear well, I'm just maybe fucked. not maybe it's you got the wrong type of shoes i got them off timu <laughs> <laughs> so they'll shrink in the sun um oh my god yeah um i'm just falling apart i'm falling apart physically mentally the only thing that's going to help me right now is some fucking chick-fil-a um i just uh okay i want to be freaking murdered on the side of the highway like these people were in the 70s wow rude so 
I actually had this episode planned a couple weeks ago. A couple of weeks ago. But then the Titanic took over. Then Titanic took over our lives, our brains, um, and we just, you know, went with the flow, probably like they did under the ocean. <laughs> um, and so I'm going to do a little true crime. We talked about this previously on the pod that we wanted to get into some Indiana true crime, possibly some like very local true crime. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, shockingly, it was like really hard to pinpoint extremely local, like deep true crime. Really? That's yeah. surprising. Yeah. And then I was like kind of looking up some stuff and it was like, I kind of like know certain people and certain like I I don't know I felt that I was maybe we were gonna maybe be insensitive like I don't know how to really explain it like how deep I wanted to get like was something more local within the past 20 years okay you know what I mean yeah yeah yeah. so um like you know you don't want to like speak ill because we're kind of insensitive like, no, we're, we're not. We're kind of insensitive. No, we're, not. we're logical bitches. Okay. Um, <laughs> you spend $2 billion to go to the bottom of the sea when you can see the same shit I saw on Google. Yeah, on the same screen. Most Literally. From Best Buy. So, um, so I found... Logical, not insensitive. Logical, not insensitive. I like what that guy said on the TikTok. Keep thinking, keep thinking, mm-hmm. go deeper. So, um, and this all came from a book that I read recently, which I was actually telling somebody about at work. I mean, I've, I've told a couple people about this book because like the, the premise of it will probably stick with me for a long time. It's called Notes on an, on an Execution. It's by, I should have looked this up. Sorry. I just remember the name. Um, it's by Danya. Kukafta and it's the story of a man on death row um, and it's counting down his time okay I think it starts at like 12 hours or something like that but in between the time it like does flashbacks and Mm -hmm. like there's like from chapter one there's no uh, sorry there's no like question that he killed these people okay he killed these women like there's no question about Mm -hmm. it but what's so interesting is how the author wrote about the mindset and like the real mental psychosis of like a serial killer And, you know, people are fascinated with true crime for a reason. But there was also one part at the beginning of this book when it was kind of the beginning stories of, like, his childhood, which was very traumatic. And I'm not going to give too much detail because I really do hope people read this book and catch up on to this section like I did, which was so small, but it it truly stuck out and it really um, asked the question of nature versus nurture. Okay. And um, it, 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 it was so small and maybe it was because like I have like a social work and psychological background. I was like, wow, because people ask the question when it comes to evil people like this, were they born evil? Mm-hmm. And it's a very interesting question. So like you and I 
are Bailey Sarian fans. Um, I'm sure the majority of people who listen to her podcast, like it's a good chance that they are Bailey fans also. Or they at least know who she is. Right. Or you are somebody who really enjoys true crime. I'm, I'm not a true crime fanatic. Mm -hmm. Um, I like, I, I am very, I'm, I'm not going to say I enjoy because there's, it's kind of like morbid to say that, but I'm intrigued by certain cases. Um, but you know, there are some people who like Get drown themselves. Yeah. Like, you know, kind of as like quote unquote a normal person. You're really getting off on hearing about that <laughs> shit all the time. Um, but I do listen to Bailey because it's also very interesting the stories that she tells, and they're not a lot of them are not very well known. And it is very much like just talking to a friend. So when I read this book and we had had like a kind of previous conversation about like wanting to do some true crime stuff. I was like, I think I'm just going to start looking into some stuff. Um, and I came across one um, that was in Indiana. His name is Larry Eiler. And if you're looking at these papers that I have right now from Wikipedia. They're 42 pages thick. They're 42 pages thick. And I'm going to give Bailey Sarian and other true crime storytellers and podcasters all of the credit in the fucking world. Because like... The couple hours of research that I did on this individual, it's pretty overwhelming. And, and when they tell these stories, like, you're very invested in certain details mm-hmm. that they're giving. Yeah. But that was hard for me to, like, tell because I hate when I'm reading something like true crime and it says something like, oh, this this individual felt like how the fuck do you know what he felt like right you you know what i mean so like i'm not into stuff like that so like once again there's no feelings and facts okay and so but i give the credit like i'm sure they watch a lot of like videos and shit interviews and blah 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 but i didn't do that (laughs) so um this is larry eiler he um was born december 21st 1952 and he's an american serial killer who is believed to have murdered a minimum of 21 teenage boys and young men in indiana and illinois he was born um in crawfordsville indiana my Mm -hmm. mom actually used to work there cute (laughs) cute little fucking town um really yeah it's kind of down like close to the illinois border like uh turkey run oh okay area like right off 41 oh like okay. pretty close to 41 which is something that's very like intrigued me about this story because they called him the the, the interstate or the highway killer I okay what that noise was. oh was it the door yeah the garage yeah yeah sorry noises guys there's a killer in our midst <laughs> Um, but he died on March 6th of 1994. I was almost two years old, Larry. And so this... wasn't even born yet. Yeah, well, okay. (laughs) Um, so then you were safe. Yeah, I was safe. So, but it's so interesting, like, reading this and being like, holy shit, like, there was a serial killer, like, literally, like, there are, you know, recordings of him being in Lowell and in Crown Mm. Point and Fort Wayne. And it's like very interesting. So just bear with me. This is my first time telling a true crime story. Okay. But if you've never heard of him, um, honestly, he's not like a bad looking guy. (laughs) Okay. He's not. He just looks like a normal Midwestern dude. Normal? No. You, You can't think that just because 
He's a serial killer? You know he's a serial killer. It's all in the eyes. That's not normal. I can't tell anything from the fucking eyes. I cannot tell anything from the fucking eyes. Well, that's a you problem. Nothing. Nothing. You would get murdered. Probably. (laughs) (laughs) Probably. Mm -hmm. Um... So he actually was sentenced. Okay, I'm getting ahead of myself. He he died from AIDS. Um, this was a gay man. Larry, okay. Larry was a gay. It's so very unfortunate. But if we're talking to the community, to very infor- like really to the community for right. sure. Um, that's very interesting about like these like 50s, 60s, 70s, 80s, and 90s killers, male killers. Right. Is that I'm gonna say like I'm gonna take an uneducated educated guess and like for a lot of serial killers it's leaning back towards like homosexual like gay ideations and stuff like that and like feeling certain things about that there are some things discussed um, from people who you know knew him like he was a big person in the gay community in Indy and stuff like that okay I'm getting ahead of myself motherfucker so he was born in Crawfordsville Indiana, he was the youngest of four children from George Howard Eiler and Shirley Phyllis. I feel like I know somebody named Eiler. Well, maybe you do. You should look it up on your Facebook right now. I don't have any information on his siblings, which I'm sure, like, after all of this, like, him being the youngest. Oh, wow. They're probably, like, don't want anything to do with that. I don't really have, like, a lot of, like, information on that. Um... So, his dad was an alcoholic. Okay, wow. Tale, tale is all this time. Like this is where we get towards like the nature versus nurture shit. You know mm-hmm. what I mean? It's like, what came first, the chicken right. or the egg? Like, were you born a serial killer, or was it your your surroundings? So it's kind of like fucked up. His dad was an alcoholic, clearly known to have physically and emotionally abused his wife and children. His parents divorced in like the mid like nineteen fifty five area. So he was very young. Like he was yeah. like a toddler, like two or three years old. Um. So then after that, it was kind of weird, some of the stories about his family. I I think that this was kind of normal-ish back then of, like, m- divorce wasn't, like, a huge thing. You know what I mean? Like, in the 50s. Like, it's especially, like, a woman with four kids. Like, I don't think mm-hmm. divorces was as prevalent then. So sometimes when it did happen and, like, if the father wasn't mm, in the yeah. picture... Like, the kids would kind of, like, go into foster care until, like, you know, the mom could figure out her shit. There's actually, like, another Indiana true crime thing about that where these people who worked with the circus left their kids, left their two daughters with this lady in, I think it was Indianapolis, and they literally murdered the oldest daughter in the basement. Like, and, like, the parents were like, you're fine, you're fine, you're fine with Mrs. So-and-so. Yeah, so I think it was, like, a very... Like, not clearly a very normal thing, right. but just something that was just kind of accepted for people in, in certain society. situations. Right. So he kind of, like, was in the care of babysitters or foster families or left in the care of his older siblings. And his mom, you know, worked multiple jobs. She was a waitress and whatnot. So eventually the mom got remarried um, a few times. She was married a few times. Um, she was married right after the father in 1957. It only lasted one year. She married for a third time in the 1960s, and they married after four years. And there is um, speculation that there was abuse in all of these marriages. So then she married um, for the fourth time in 1972. And uh, no, I'm sorry. 
only two of the four father and stepfathers like drink heavily okay so whoa dream big like you right. know, you're beating the odds there mom so as a it's known that a form of discipline remember he was the youngest was that the uh stepfather would one of the ones who drank the fourth one would put larry's head under scolding water as a form of discipline oh my god i know like when you hear about serial killers as kids and like the majority of shit that they went through that's very true you're kind yeah. of like i don't fucking I get blame it. you you'd I, be my first fucking kill dude yeah right but why do they always go for like is it a surge of power to go for like probably anyways yeah i totally get it like a like a projection thing yeah mm -hmm. like it's your like power play yeah um there's some more stuff about that of him in a like later on in his life um so he attended school in lebanon do you say lebanon or lebanon uh lebanon i say lebanon i don't know where i heard that indiana so he was tall for his age he was very active in sports but he was regularly bullied from coming from a poor family and his parents were divorced um his sister would help out sometimes some teachers said that he was a quiet kid he had few friends but he got so bad because of the bullying mm -hmm. and it like kind of outraged his his behavior his mom placed him in a home for unruly boys um in fort wayne uh temporarily placed in a catholic home for boys in fort wayne so he remained there for six months before he returned back so that was in his adolescence he i mean from kind of like the lebanon to the fort wayne area that's like a three-hour drive so right. he's like completely removed from his family right. which he's been displaced his entire childhood at this point like no stable home what whatsoever so then when he reaches like a teenage he kind of like realizes that he's attracted to men um and it kind of makes you think too like was there any sexual abuse happening right I, bring, like immediately when you said cat it was a catholic uh, right yeah. right like and of course having four stepfathers like and it was an all-boys school yeah yeah no clue like what's happening in the foster homes previous he was right. going to the men his mom might have been bringing in and out i don't have a lot of knowledge on that once again i'm not bailey so i actually have a full-time job um <laughs> <laughs> love bailey to death but that's like her like, life that's her job so yes she does it thoroughly yeah so this does say that he was open to his family which i would say in like the 70s that was pretty big like yeah. the the late 60s early 70s yeah. like being a little bit open about that um he did not graduate high school um but he did get his ged and then shortly after leaving like he went to college but he didn't graduate so then he started working at marion county uh general hospital which is in indianapolis so he must have went back to that area and then it's kind of said that during that time he started like you know as being like a young man like in his 20s he started like frequenting the indianapolis like gay scene mm -hmm. um he started to become pretty well known in that something that um i thought was interesting was that early partners that he had would make comments of like when they were having sex with him men men that he would call them like bitches and whores which like kind of made a lot of them believe that like he maybe he wasn't gay or that he was just like wanting them to be female but like right. how do you like stick your dick in a butthole and be like <laughs> i wish you were a girl you can't 
I, I know. Right. Right. Damn it, Larry. Like, okay. Um, so something also interesting to me was that he was a lot around a lot of people with a leather fetish, but he had like a collection of like military and Marine Corps outfits and like that's what he would wear like marine corps like t-shirts and shit like some of the somebody <laughs> fucked him up in one of those fucking outfits demeaned him <laughs> and he was like this is it so so not only are you familiarizing yourself like you're getting into many fetishes leather military um and like I wonder if any of this any of the boyfriends or any of the husbands of his moms had that background maybe like and being really aggressive, aggressive yeah like I'm a military guy yes um so along with that and here's the weird thing about this guy is that like a lot of his friends when like the trial was eventually happening um he had a lot of friends. Yeah. Like, I'll kind of get to it, but his friends at one point bailed him out of jail. Wow. For attempted murder. Oh my God. Yeah. Like, he had, like, he knew a lot of people. And so they called him, like, a laid back guy. He was an avid bodybuilder. Um, and it was said that he was still super close to his sister and his mom, uh, which I'm assuming he only had one sister out of, like, since he was the youngest, so probably two brothers. But it also is said that along with the bitch and whore, while he he was very known for like rough sex, like sadomasochistic sex. Wow. Um, which, as we know today, we don't fetish shame, but we need safe words right. up in this bitch. Um, so. <laughs> OK, forgot about this part. I don't know why I'm laughing. It's because it went comfy. Um, so it is said that when he would have sex, he would sometimes bludgeon who he was having sex with. Oh, my God. Yeah. And then inflict light knife wounds upon willing partners to their torso. Willing, willing. Now moving on into the story that will go a little bit farther. Okay. So he started off calling his partners bitches, bitches and whores. And then he went to hitting them, and then he went to lightly stabbing them if they were willing. You know what that fucking r reminds me of? A scream where Stu was stabbed <laughs> too hard. He's like, you guys are so close, man! I broke a blade here! <laughs> you know exactly what I'm saying. So he worked as a house painter, um... He resided in a condo in Terre Haute. This is a kind of a part where I was a little weird about. I don't think that it ever said if he had sexual relations with him. But in Terre Haute, he met a Indiana University uh, library science professor named Robert David Little. And he they lived together. But it says that they were pl platonic. I don't know how much of that is true. So he was in his early 20s, Larry was, and Robert was 38 years old. Okay. Um, they regularly went out and socialized, um, but it was kind of known that Robert was very possessive over Larry and jealous. Like, and Larry uh -huh. was would bring dudes home left and right. And so, like, you kind of, like, I'm, I'm guessing it's kind of, like, a situation of, like, you have, like, a really, like, nerdy, older professor gay man. Yeah. And he's met, like, some young, like, kind of jacked up 
dude, dude. Yeah. And he's like, and it's, I mean, maybe Larry was using him. I don't know. But I mean, at what point do you take accountability for yourself, though? Like, you're a 38 year old man. Yeah, for sure. You agreed to move in together. Like, you guys are roommates. At what point do you say, okay, well, it's affecting my life at XYZ. I'm done. Yeah, but Robert could have also been just somebody who... I mean, this... You have to remember, this is back in the 70s. So it's like, you're a single 38-year-old college professor. Like, oh, I just have a roommate. Like, I'm not seeing anybody. I don't know. Like, I, 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 I could see that going multiple ways. Right. Like, I could see that easily being extremely toxic but like i mean people do that now like yeah, even out of the 70s like people stay in toxic shit hoping that the person will fall in love with them now right. um so now we're going to get into the first attempted murder <laughs> on august 3rd 1978 uh larry picked up a 19 year old hitchhiker named craig long in Terre Haute. he picked him up in his pickup truck as he's driving he starts to try to, like, come on to him and, like, coerce him into sex. And, like, very early on finding out that young Craig is not homosexual, um, he starts, like, calling him, like, a gay and, like, you're a queer. I'm sure other words were used. So what does Larry do? He stabs him in the chest. And he penetrated his lung, actually. Wow. And so he's, like, Craig slumps. And Larry pulls over. So once Larry pulls over, I don't know how this even works. Like, clearly this is probably the first time that he actually went as far as, like, truly trying to mm -hmm. kill somebody or, like, assert a dominance that way. So young Craig gets to a nearby house and calls the cops. Larry follows him to the house and is like, oh, my God, this was a huge accident and um the cops are already there and he's like it was just an accident like you know probably saying something like i thought he was gonna attack me uh. like i'm just kind of speculating at that point so um the cops searched his vehicle and this is what gets weird searched his vehicle and they found a hunting knife a metal tipped whip sexy mm -hmm. um a butcher knife a further uh another set of handcuffs tear gas and a sword all in the truck all in the truck that's your daily vehicle yes so this is like what's interesting to me is like at what point are we turning to hitchhiker murder yeah and this is something that bailey Seri talks about a lot like a lot of her shit set in like the 60s 70s and 80s is around people who are hitchhiking that was a huge thing during that time an aunt of mine, actually, at 17 years old, left my mom and papa's house in Hammond, Indiana, and hitchhiked all the way to Tennessee, and met a man, and then she married him. Wow. He picked her up. Like, it was an older man. I think he was in his, like, mid-20s. That's, like, my cousin's dad. It was, like, a whole thing. So, like, that was, like, a huge thing wow. in, like, the 70s and 80s. So... He was charged with aggravated battery, to which he agreed to plead guilty. A judge sent a bond at $10,000, which was raised by his friends. If you, if I was to get a call one day, <laughs> me and Kaylee were, that you were arrested for stabbing somebody, 
saying it was an accident and then they find like murder paraphernalia in your car I personally don't know how I'm feeling about that to raise 10,000 fucking dollars for you. So here's also something about Larry Eiler is that I expect the highest level of loyalty. Okay. Mm, anyways, <laughs> he evaded conviction and police like he was let go a couple of times That's in some wild sticky fucking situations. Um, so he was released on bail. He got bail. He was released. Here's the fucking kicker. Poor fucking Craig Long. I'm sure this poor kid, that was his name, right? Craig mm -hmm. Long. I'm sure this 19-year-old kid for years to come had regrets about this. Robert, Robert, you know, the roommate, the, offered to pay him $2,500 in return of him dropping the charges against Larry. He, 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 he took the money. That's so such charges, a low fucking feet. Well, in like 1970-whatever. That's true, I guess. Yeah. And so he got out and he only paid $43 in court costs. I wonder if they gave him back the tear gas. <laughs> or the sword. Or the sword. Or any what of you, it. What do you fucking get? You know what is a real... He did have a sword. Okay, I was just going to say, when I was in the dating world, a real turn off to me was when dudes had swords. <laughs> It really turned me off because <laughs> it, it creeped me the fuck out. Uh, why are you a grown ass man with a he samurai sword? It. Oh, mm -hmm. he inherited it. Yep. From who? His father. Mm. Who bought it when he had a lot of money at the time. Is it real? Is it sharp? Can we use it? It's got a, a, a protector on it. Thing. You can take the protector off. Sure. Know? So that I don't. Yeah, you can. TJ, TJ, you need to bring that over next time you come <laughs> over. Let's fucking play fight. <laughs> <laughs> okay. So it keeps getting more weird for Larry. He did have a long-term relationship um, with a man named John Dabrowskolsk. Dabrowskolski. Whatever. He's Polish. Wait. Oh yeah, that checks out. He's Polish. Um, here's the kicker about fucking John D. He's fucking married with two kids. Okay? He's married with two kids. And I know what you're thinking. Oh, like he was living a double life. No. His wife knew. I looked up a picture of this fucking family. You talk about dead fucking eyes. This fucking portrait, this family picture of this fucking four-person family in the 70s is the most depressing fucking picture I've ever seen in my goddamn fucking They're life. They're all on acid. They're all on <laughs> They're all on fucking something. The wife knew. That's fucking wild. Yes, and he lived though they were from Chicago. So I don't know like the story of how they met. Mm -hmm. Maybe like, you know, this John D guy like, you know, went down to the gay scene in Indy. I have no clue. But Larry would go visit him um on like the weekends mm -hmm. and and stuff like that. So his wife Sally was tolerant of her husband's sexual orientation. And of the fact that her husband's lover also lodged with them on the weekdays, paying a third of the rent. It was convenient. It was convenient. As a woman, though, that's my question to you. She was probably also hustling on the side or something. You think so? Oh, for sure. Or, and or, she... It was just a benefit to their family. 
I just don't understand. Probably, I mean, it's it's what the 70s at that time, right? I I would hope though, and look, there's nothing wrong with an open marriage. But here's where I get caught up on an open marriage, where it's allowed for one of them, but not for the other. Right. So like, I hope she was at least getting some D on the side. Right. Like, whether he was there or not. How how, how do you feel about open relationships? What's your opinion? Big no. Big no? Big no. Super yeah. no. Super no. Like, okay, that's for you personally, but what are your general feelings about, like, people in an open relationship, swingers, poly? Um, happy for you, bud. Uh, don't get it, but okay. Yeah, like, I think that's where, like, exactly where I said. Like, I don't think that people should be forced into monogamy, but it's also crazy to me when people are like, this is, like, literally the greatest thing right. ever. I don't get it. And I don't believe it. No, I don't either. I don't. Um, but on the flip of the coin, they say the same thing about monogamy, so. They do. Of that, it's it's just a different form of slavery, so. I don't know if I agree with that. Not at all. Because I also have a choice. Right. Like, slavery, there's no choice in slavery. It's just, it's, I, I don't, I don't get it. I don't know. Couldn't tell you. Not my business. Yeah. That's what it comes down to. Not my fucking business. Hope you're happy. Whatever. At least, hopefully, you know. Hopefully everybody in the situation's happy. Yes. Um, so, something fun about Larry and John's sexual life was the sadomasochism. Their sexual activity frequently involved Larry binding his partner to devices before proceeding to beat... I'm not laughing. <laughs> <laughs> before proceeding to beat and lash him as he hurled curses at John before the two engaged in butt sex. They said penetrative sex. You, you gotta call it what it is, butt sex. Where else are you gonna put it? You know what I mean? Um, although uh, neither Larry or David was inclined towards monogamy, the couple considered their rela relationship a permanent one. Uh, but there was a lot of jealousy in this. It is said that um, Larry was like very jealous, which was odd because it's like Date, like you knew John has a wife you live with them sometimes and pay a third of the rent right. so like your jealousy is completely your own unnecessary right. right and then there was also some stuff too about like how Robert Little got into this and it was like into the relationship well John then would get jealous of Robert oh, like God. I mean poor Larry was just living at multiple places living multiple lives you know, carrying a sword in his pickup truck. Like, it was just a lot of stuff. So, um, Larry at that time was working primarily as a house painter in Illinois on the weekdays, which is when he stayed with John and his wife and the kids. Do you think he, like, was part of the family? Like, they had, like, dinner together? Like, oh, for sure. Like, Daddy, like, Uncle Larry's here. Yeah, I think so. I think that's totally... Um appropriate to 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 imagine do you think that either of them ever suspected like something deeper than just like the sexual sadomasochism um the wife probably not but the boyfriend probably yeah Cause yeah cause, easily i think so because yeah. um because at don't some know. point you just have a feeling right like, I don't like, know if you ever have a feeling like my partner is literally a serial killer. Well, I don't know. Couldn't tell you that part. Um, I just think, um, 
my also thought is at what point like did the boyfriend get into it at some point because like you're also so, into that kind of thing so like, larry did put out there before he died he did make claims that he did not work alone now i'll get into a little bit more of like things that came out after he died because then like you know the client counsel confidentiality and stuff like that oh yeah but there is speculation and claims that larry did not work alone <sighs> what if it was robert too i mean if he I mean, if he was in love with him please larry hmm. in any way shape or form So, yeah, so, okay, so Larry was going back and forth between Indiana and Illinois a lot. He would do painting as a job in Chicago during the weekdays, and he would live with John and the family, <laughs> the family, he'd pay a third of the rent. And the weekends, he would go back to Indiana, and he worked at a liquor store on the weekends, and so, and he, here's where I think the dynamic between him and Robert was more of him using Robert, whether Robert, like, could have taken accountability or not. He stayed rent-free at Robert's. Oh, damn. Yes. So, five days a week, he's paying a third of the rent at, you know, his boyfriend's and his boyfriend's wife house. Right. And then he's going to live with the sugar daddy for free on the right. weekends where he looked at worked at a fucking liquor store. So, here's the part that, like hit home for me locally in my head instantly i'm like going from illinois to Terre Haute and greencastle mm -hmm. he's either taking 41 or six <clears throat> or 65 sorry i just drink water and it's giving me gas so he's going straight through hammond gary east chicago yeah. um i mean even where i went to high school he's going through crown point he's going through cedar lake like he's going through all of it right and that's like a three-hour drive. So him being known as the interstate or the highway killer, he has ample time doing that drive two days a week in his Ford pickup truck to kill many people. Right. Which between 1982 and 1984, he fucking does. So he, it, between those years, he committed a minimum of 21 murders and one attempted murder. And I'm saying... Um, a minimum because that goes back to kind of what we're going to get in a little bit about his confessions and so all of his victims were subjected to varying degrees of sadomasochism which i've talked about before um, his victims were typically plied with alcohol so he would pick them up hitchhiking was a huge thing back then mm -hmm. especially um on 41 or 65 that's going straight down south uh, there's probably a shit ton of people. He worked at a liquor store. Right. He could easily get all of it. So, and then a lot of them were given s sedatives too. Several victims were disemboweled after death and Eiler's known to have uh, dismembered the bodies of four of his victims. There's a lot of details in my research about what he did to the victims. I'm not going to get into that because it's, it's just a lot. Um, and then they were tip they were typically discarded in fields close to the major interstate highways, so either 41 or 65, with their trousers and underwear frequently discovered around their knees, um, because he would like rape them. And then they were robbed. <laughs> he would take their wallets. So he was uh he was committed. 
he was very committed so in October of 1982, he lured a 21, an, another Craig, a Craig Townsend. Weird. We had Craig, Craig Long. Now we have Craig Townsend into his vehicle in Crown Point. He was drugged and excessively beaten and later abandoned naked in a field, but he survived. That's the one that they were talking about, like attempted. Hmm. So now this is his second one. That's got away. That's gotten away. Um... 11 days later, less than two weeks, he abducted and murdered an, um, another 19-year-old. Uh, his body was discovered in Kankakee County approximately 12 hours after his murder. And then he was beaten and stabbed uh, just a week later. So now he's getting like a little bit of a taste for this. Yeah. Just five days later, at the end of October, a 26-year-old Edgar Underkulfer... Um, disappeared from Rantoul, Illinois, never heard of it, and his body wasn't discovered until um, six months later in Danville. Wow. So if you know Indiana, Danville is literally right on the Indiana line. So he must have been driving with him for a minute Yeah. before either the sedative set in um, and he dumped him in Danville and probably went back to Terre Haute. Yeah. Or, you know, near Greencastle. Um, he abducted another one in November. Like, this was pretty consistent throughout October. I mean, granted, he went on his spree for two years, but he went hard uh, between October and November. Like, really, like, he must have been... Like, like of that first assist. year. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. Um, this is when a lot of police and FBI starting to like pick up on like these are all young men or teenagers. They're all hitchhiking. So they start to put like a little bit of like, could this be a serial killer? So they start like a coalition. Um, you know, the bodies start to be like autopsy. They start to realize that there's a lot of similarities mm -hmm. in the way that these people are being found, you know, being murdered and then being found. Um... In January 24th of 1983, just a few months later, he uh, I, I think this is his youngest victim, a 16-year-old named Irvin Gibson in Lake County, Illinois, and he wasn't discovered until April. Um, discarded atop of the body of a dog, which had also been stabbed to death. Oh, my God. So he picked up a 16-year-old hiking with his fucking dog. I Probably I, a runaway. Probably. I would assume that maybe the dog started to attack something along those mm. lines. Um, I think that was his, um, his youngest one. Yeah. So there seems to be like a lot of very fast of finding these bodies. Yeah. Cause at that point they were like, this seems to be the trail. Um, it's going from Illinois to Indiana, Indiana from Illinois. There was a lot of checking in the fields along that time. Well, I mean, this is the seventies, right? So I'm sure that they were either coming down from the Manson murders and yeah, who else? So I mean, who else? No, this was in the early '80s. So who else did we have? The in Zodiac the early Killer. 80s? We have the Zodiac Killer. We have uh, Richard, uh, Richard Ramirez. Yeah. Um, a lot so I'm of sure police departments in general, the FBI, everybody is on hyper fucking yeah. alert. Yeah, you're. You're starting to become, unfortunately, more accustomed 
to the mind of a serial killer. And not only People that, are becoming experts. And yeah, and not only that, and just the 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 publicity of the stations you know yeah. oh well so and so station they found the killer yeah that city will be awarded fiscally right yes so they're so, yes it's also about who's who's catching who first yes um kind of with that in early 1983 which he's still doing his right. thing Many advocates in the Indiana gay gay community had speculated that the sudden increase in the number of disappearances, because just like now, that media is picking up on all that shit, right? right? Um, murders of young males might be the work of a single, single perpetrator, not knowing that a task force has already been done, FBI and mm-hmm. everybody's starting to look into this. And so, um, although police had routinely raided gay bars and bookstores in addition to continually overtly filming patriots in, in these premises with in in their efforts to create a profile find somebody um there was a newspaper called the works in their effort to help the police and it's like hey like stop targeting our community we're trying right. to help you they offered a reward of $1,500 for any information obtained leading to the arrest and conviction of this killer. Little did they know, it was one of their own in their community, which is even more sad. Because you take the 70s and 80s and 90s, AIDS is... Fucking epidemic. And that, and just the fear of it... You know, the gay community was also looked at horribly. Right. So then all of this and come to find out it was one of their no, own. Right. And that community even now, you know, we're in, I mean, it'll be over, you know, we're still in Pride Month. They really stick together for the most part. And they're trying to be like, we want to help you. Like, we don't want this happening to our right. community like, stop either. attacking us. Yes. Let yes. us be a part of the solution. Yes. Um, in early spring of... 1983, which is probably around the time that they found the April body mm-hmm. that I had talked about, police in Indiana had tentatively linked several murders of young males and committed to this uh, the state as the same perpetrator. Mm-hmm. I think at that point, um, from my from my research, I could be wrong if people want to look more into this. Illinois and Indiana. I mean, where he was doing it from Illinois to Indiana. Indiana was getting more of the brunt of the murders, but they started connecting the dots from state to state. And so uh, Indiana State Police conducted a meeting attended by 35 detectives from each of the four jurisdictions where the bodies of young males bearing the same wounds and stuff like that. So they got together, named the Central Central Indiana Multi-Agency investigation team which was the task force just dedicated to this serial killer i think at that point around that time was when they kind of named him the highway or the Mm. interstate killer i don't know why they went back and forth usually these serial killers have one name that they stick to um so they coordinated this whole task force they start looking into all this stuff there's a lot of information on that on june 6th of 1983 a former love lover of Larry's named Thomas Henderson phoned the investigation team's confidential hotline to voice his suspicions of Larry um, possibly being the killer. Um, He explained that his former lover had been charged with some sort of a stabbing a couple of years earlier. This is where the Mm -hmm. friends banded together from the 
young male that he right. stabbed. He, you know, the young guy got to the house and Larry said that it was an accident. This is where the sword was found, the infamous sword. And so, you know, his friends came together and got his bail money. Um, and fucking Robert paid that kid $2,500 not to press charges. So he also kind of told about like his sadomasochism in the bedroom about how he did. (laughs) I don't know what light stabbing is, light torso stabbing. I would really love to (laughs) speak to somebody in the sadomasochist community who goes that far. I think that's extremely interesting. If it's consensual, is it assault? No, it's consensual. True. But I feel like you could regret that. <laughs> sure, absolutely. But still, in the moment, it's consensual. But is that still then considered a crime of passion? No, because when it happened, it was consensual. Mm-hmm. I'm on the fence about that. Um, they talked about the bondage, and he kind of just really laid all this stuff out about Larry. And it kind of makes me sad for this Thomas guy. Because I wonder how long he had been sitting on this, knowing that these bodies mm-hmm. were piling up and being like, like, when could he have called? And I mm. feel like when we get into these situations and like, whoever is the whistleblower and like, you know, raises the red flag and calls one of these hotlines, like, how long have they been sitting on this suspicion and like what does your life look like after that right like how not only like how do you put the pieces together right Right. but how long do you sit on knowing what those pieces are right right yeah so um you know we're already over a year and a half into committing these murders at least the ones that he um confessed to down the line so like i'm not gonna say poor thomas henderson but i'm gonna be like I think people should trust their instincts on things. Right. Um, so we kind of get back to, oh, I'm sorry. I'm sorry. His youngest victim was 14 years old. Wow. Um, an unconscious youth abandoned close to Greencastle. So that's where he worked on the weekends in the liquor store. So 14 years old. The boy had not been molested, but investigators theorized the reason Larry had given the boy sedatives was a means to test the effectiveness of the drug. Mm. The 14-year-old wasn't murdered, but he was unconscious in the woods, so he was testing out his stuff. But the youngest murder victim was 16 years old. So then they start looking into Larry. They start doing a background check and come to find out, wow, he actually uh, was, like, not convicted, but charged with stabbing somebody a couple of years before that and he was let go right he posted bail so they start doing more work on him now here's the thing and this is what bailey talks about this is where shit gets weird in terms of the second time he was let go um bailey talks about this a lot on her podcast too when she gets into these stories especially like the 70s 80s and 90s of like the cops just dropping the fucking ball Here's the thing, though. Also, they weren't just dropping the ball. There was a lot of corruption. A lot of corruption. Yes. But with this one specifically, they put this whole Central Indiana multi-agency investigative team together with the FBI getting a psychological profile on this unknown Mm -hmm. killer and how they go about things. Um, 
it really dropped the ball for him to be conv actually convicted for all of the murders that he did. Which if you look into a lot of true crime, this is unfortunately what happens sometimes, is that they know that he's the fucking killer. But he's only initially convicted on like one small tiny right. thing. And so for the rest of his life or the life of these, you know, victims' families, they can't really be like, oh, he was convicted on actually killing my There's son. There's no real justice. Yes. Yeah. Yes. Even though the proof is in the pudding, right. but the way that you legally went about this fucked us. So that's where it kind of comes up. And at this point, Larry kind of knows that he's like under the radar a little bit or like on the radar. Yeah. Um, they've questioned him. Um, and the FBI profile on this kind of goes back to the, some of the stuff that we talked about. So they developed his psychological profile on the unknown killer whom they predicted to be a white male in his late 20s or early 30s who worked in a menial profession. He was a painter. Worked at a liquor store. He got his GED. He didn't finish college. Um, who presented a rough exterior in part due to his self-hatred regarding his sexual attraction to other males. If you remember from the beginning, they talked about him as a very macho guy. He was an avid bodybuilder. Mm -hmm. Never was in the fucking military, but wore these, like, cut-off Marine Corps t-shirts. Um, this individual would project a macho image and seek the company and approval of other masculine males in order to feel a sense of belonging. As such, this, in this individual would frequent redneck bars and something of a night owl would live on the edge of homosexual panic, always fe fearful of being labeled by others as queers. If you remember the first stabbing that he did of the kid that got off of $2,500. Right, he wasn't, he, he wasn't gay. Yeah. So he stabbed and, him. And he called him, like, I'm sure he called him something other than a queer. Right. But, you know, that was like the late 70s. So, you know, he tested his masculinity. Right. Um, that's probably another thing with Larry was that he was very much into the BDSM, the mm -hmm. sadomasochism. It was his way of exerting his dominance over something that he truly was, but felt was inferior to right. him, which is probably a big way that he used Robert Little, an older male, probably very closeted. Higher standing, a college professor, security, yes. safe home, stability, all of it. Yes. So he like wiggled his way into this community right. as a total fox in the hen house. Um, what else did they say? Always fearful of being labeled as queer. Due to this fear, the offender may express a hatred of homosexuals in order to mask his sexual attraction. I mean, I didn't really get a lot of that. This is just the general profile of what mm -hmm. they thought this killer was. Furthermore, the FBI predicted that upon completion of a murder, the offender would symbolically erase the act by making a, a rudimentary effort to cover his victims with leaves or soil. This is why he's always dumping him in woods, um, in fields. Like, they're just whatever. Like, mm -hmm. they, they mean nothing. Which is why, they, you know, he would disembowel them sometime and leave their trousers down and steal their wallets. Like... He was just over it. Like, he was he just discarding his them. trash. Yes, he just threw them away. Um, as many victims have been athletic in, uh, in stature, this profile also predicted the offender to be a physically strong male. So if you're thinking about a young man, even in his teens mm -hmm. or, or early 20s, like the strength of these kids, right. like it's just natural at that time in their lives. Um, the predictions within this profile regarding the offender's strength were supported by the presence of deep wealth marks in the wrist of victims. So 
he was killing and murdering these people. Like, if you do a profile of somebody who really kills somebody, it's... I would assume that actually the physicality of murdering somebody is not easy. Right. Like, especially somebody to your size or even more. You know what I mean? To stab somebody, to cut them up into little pieces. There's a or lot younger to that. And more, um... More athletic. Yeah. 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 So, like, he had a type, like... Yeah. And he wasn't going to go for somebody like a woman because that probably didn't kind of, like, heed to his homosexuality, like, sadomasochism or whatever, you know? He couldn't fully get off that way. Yes. Um, so here's where things get weird, too. And this is kind of, like, where the ball starts to be dropped with the FBI and with this task force. So on July 2nd of 1983, a partially clad body of an unidentified Hispanic man was discovered in a field two miles from the city of Paxton in Ford County, Illinois. I don't actually know where that is. The victim had been dead um, for a few days and had been repeatedly stabbed. Eight weeks later, on August 31st, a tree trimming crew discovered the body of another victim named Ralph Ralph. In mm. a field close to the toll road on Illinois Route 60. So he's just dumping these fucking bodies. Literally just, uh, right out the window. Literally. Like a literally. fucking uh, McDonald's car. Like he's probably not even actually turning his car off. He's probably putting it in a park, pushing them out. Yeah. And then just fucking going. Because they're being found so fucking quickly after he's yeah. murdered them. Um. So then we kind of get into the... All the evidence that they had found on September 8th of 1983, investigators from all the jurisdictions in both states uh, where the additional bodies have been discovered convened with a senior task force in Crown Point to discuss whether the additional five deaths were also connected mm -hmm. to all the ones that they had found on the interstates in Indiana. All five murders were added to the list of victims. Um, and then at that point, they believed that they were really onto something. So a month later, on October 4th, 1983, two mushroom hunters discovered a human torso concealed inside a plastic bag in Kenosha County, Wisconsin. He went to Wisconsin now. The victim was identified as 18-year-old Eric Hansen, who had been last seen alive on September 27th. His head, arms, and legs had been severed from his torso with a hacksaw, and the torso itself had been completely dried of blood. The skull and the hands were never found. This is where things are kind of odd for me, like, reading into this story. Like, what have you done with that stuff? Yeah. Like, from my understanding, which I could be wrong if other people know about this one, did he have a treasure trove? Like, clearly he was taking the wallets. Like, he was robbing them at the same time. Like, what are you doing draining the blood completely out of a right. body, but just taking the hands um, and the skull? So then on October 18th, another partially decomposed bodies of four other victims were discovered alongside an oak tree close to an abandoned farmhouse in Lake Village, Indiana. That's right on Route 41. So he's either at that point coming back from Chicago, which how did you, like, were, were you keeping the victims at that point in your pickup truck? Mm -hmm. I don't know. I don't know. Each victim had been dead for several months um, and all had been partially buried with section of the body of each victim. So it's like, at that point, he didn't even really have like a style. He was either just dumping them or keeping them and then waiting to dump them. Because he knew that they were on to him, so he needed to switch it up. That's a good point. 
And this is where the speculation of an accomplice comes in. Mm -hmm. So he had two homes, right? He had a home in Chicago where he was staying with his lover and the family and with Robert Little in Green or in Terre Haute. Where was he keeping the bodies? He didn't have a home of his own. That you know of. He could have been renting a place. Could have been had a little shack on some unmarked land, you know what I mean? Maybe. But he wouldn't have owned that because there would have been a paper trail of that. That's true. So maybe. But that, but like I said, that's where the accomplice part right. comes in of like who was helping him hide these bodies that weren't getting dumped for months later. Um, and then two months later, on December 7th, 1983, a hunter discovered a partially buried skeleton of a further victim um, on U.S. Route 40, 17-year-old Richard Wayne who had disappeared in March, traveling from California to his home in Indiana. So the first arrest. On September 30th, 1983, Larry was arrested in Lowell for a routine traffic violation. The same thing that fucking happened with that Idaho killer a few months ago. Oh, yeah, ago. that's true. He got stopped in Indiana, yeah. too. Routine traffic. Yeah. Love it. <laughs> you Keep know, doing your thing. Click it or ticket, Indiana. Um, he had been in the company of a young hitchhiker. Ugh, sorry, I'm getting hungry and I'm getting gassy. Um, Your body's both, looking for the bubbles that is depleted. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> at that time, both men were arrested and detained for questioning at the Lowell police station, with Larry initially being detained upon charges of soliciting a young man for sexual purposes. Um, let's see. So his truck was searched at that time. The same day, that afternoon, two investigators from the task force conducted a formal interview with Larry. It probably piqued their interest at that point. Like, we did a little bit of background. Do you have a young male with you who's a hitchhiker? So it probably piqued their interest. Um, they informed Larry that he is now a suspect in a series of murders due to an anonymous phone call. So remember, the ex-lover who had called, they already knew Larry's name, and it was like, oh, click, we already had a hunch. Somebody fucking called on you months yeah. ago. We just haven't had the opportunity. Here's where shit gets fucked in terms of the evidence. They fucked up all the evidence. He got caught on fucking Miranda rights. They didn't read the fucking Miranda rights. Isn't that not a thing anymore? No, you have to still. Is that why they did that? What? I thought I heard something a few months ago that like something with the Miranda rights, like you could still. Um, something about um, them tricking you into saying that you got it, but you didn't get it. Yeah. Why wouldn't you just do it then if you were trying to trick them? You know what I mean? Do what? Like, if they were trying to trick them into the Miranda rights, why wouldn't you just do it? You don't of trick somebody into the Miranda rights. You either give them the Miranda rights. You have to. That's part of no, the job. No, but is that what you just said? No. So the police. So they were saying like lawyers were coming out on TikTok, I believe, saying like, "Be careful! Don't respond! Don't verbally say anything out loud if you get pulled over or if you get detained or anything, because they can use your words against you." Oh. And say, we did do X, Y, Z, and here's proof because we have it on record that oh, we had the conversation. Right. Blah, blah. Oh, that makes sense. Okay. So, he was released. 
Because they did not read his Miranda rights. Because of the evidence that they found, they didn't book it correctly in terms of a warrant. It was a whole thing. It really sounds like they got, like, too excited. Like, they got too big mm -hmm. for their britches. Little did they know, though, that he clearly was supported by his community in the past. And this right. will come into play also. Um... And he knew kind of what some of his stipulations were. Right. You know what I mean? Like, he knew some of his shit. So shortly after his release from custody on October 4th, Larry requested legal representation from a Chicago lawyer. He had money. Like, clearly he wasn't really he was paying rent. He was working two jobs. Right. You know, gas was probably like 34 cents back oh, in the shit. 80s. Um, having received confirmation from the Lake County Deputy Chief Investigator that police had insufficient evidence to formally charge him, his lawyer filed a civil suit against both Lake County and the Indiana police. <laughs> the, this lawyer sought $250,000 for Larry mm -hmm. and damages against him right. from both states. So they go through all that. They know that they're fucked at that point. So they have to start from, from square one. You know what I mean? Like they have to, at, at this point, they're fucking watching him. Right? So, um, on October 29th of 1983, the lawyer civil suit was heard in a federal court building, um, that they had used, they, they didn't use a correct search warrant to search his car. And they also fucked up the Miranda rights. Um, although the lawyer argued before the judge that there was no evidence that existed against his client, um, the judge said that the lawyer couldn't rule to obtain access like he he like went in the favor of the judge or in the he the judge went in the favor of the lawyer that they couldn't obtain access at Got that it. time legally. Um as Larry was walking from this from this hearing, two Lake County in investigators presented him with more warrants authorizing the retrieval of Larry's blood and hair samples. If they had warrants, even if they didn't have reason to, they could still do it. From that, you know, they revealed his blood type, which was connected to other things. Um, he was formally charged with one of the murders on October 29th, which I think from that was like the next day or something like that, um, with his bond being set at $1 million. The trial was set for December, so that was like a month and a half away. He protested his innocence, adding in um, anonymous media interviews that the accusation had harmed his reputation um, and proclaimed that had he murdered anybody, real evidence would have existed. On November 1st of 1983, Lake County investigators obtained a search warrant. So this is all happening within mm -hmm. just a couple of days um, to conduct a second search of Robert Little's home. The primary purpose of this search was to determine whether the victim's missing items were there, which we had talked about before. Like, what is he doing with all this shit? Like the skull and the hands right. they were never found, blah, blah, blah. Although investigators retrieved 222 items, including clothing, jewelry, pharmaceuticals, and Polaroids, none of the items recovered, uh, like, were connected to any of the victims that they had. However, a key recovered in this search was a precise match to a key found beneath one of the bodies um, from 1982. So this, like, when they do evidence, that's what's so interesting to me. The John Wayne Gacy case... 
he would like steal items from the victims also. Mm. And if I'm remembering correct correctly, when they got a warrant to his house and they were going through all of his shit, one of John Wayne Gacy's victims, his aunt had gifted him a TV. What was that back in like the 70s, the 60s and 70s also? And the police connected John Wayne Gacy to one of those murders based off of the receipt that the aunt kept connected to the TV mm. that John Wayne Gacy had kept from the victim. So they were able to connect to murders that way. How fucking crazy, right? Like a fucking receipt, like this right. aunt who never threw any of her receipts away in the fucking 70s. I mean, what that says a lot about like just the human condition, right? And like how the human mind works. Like, could I need this for later? Right. Yeah. Um, so the hearing <laughs> happened, um, in December of 1983, a Lake County circuit judge ruled that although Larry's initial arrest for the traffic violation had been legally invalid, his subsequent detainment during the Indiana, there's just like a lot of stuff. I'm just, I'm not Bailey. I'm getting tired, <laughs> but he was released again. On what? That... Um, their evidence was invalid again. But they had all the warrants. Yeah. So, in January of 1984, a hearing to determine whether the physical evidence recovering following Larry's arrest should be suppressed, a police sergeant conceded the primary reason the Lowell police had prolonged Larry's detainment on September 30th was to uh, uh, await the arrival of... Um, of Lowell members of the initial task force and that Larry had never been formally under arrest. So they mm. illegally detained him. Got it. So he was let go again. So following four days of testimony, the judge adjourned the hearing until January 27th of 1984 to consider his ruling informing the assistant attorney um that, like, they needed to go through all this from the evidence that they had had. On January, or on February 1st, 1984, the judge ruled that although Larry had signed the Miranda waiver upon being de detained, he had, take, he had been taken in, into custody for interrogation upon charges unrelated to the crime of murders that they were suspecting him of. Mm. So what he was Mirandized for sure. and signed Did for match. didn't matter, which is so fucking crazy how the legal system works. I mean, granted, this is back in the 80s. Like, you hope certain things mm -hmm. have changed by then. But anyways, so we're going like he was um, as a result of all of this. Um, he was released on February 6, 1984. His family and Robert Little having repaid, ha having paid his reduced bond. So, like, after going all this, that, like, the Miranda waiver that he signed and what he was actually held for, you know, for, they, they reduced the bail from $1 million to 10, or to 10000 Robert Little and Larry's family got that money together mm -hmm. and got him out. Um... Dead air. Dead air. It's just a lot of information. I chose a really good one. So four weeks after his release of custody, Larry permanently relocated to to Chicago. All of this happened in Lake County, Illinois. Mm -hmm. And they told him, you cannot leave. Um, because while you're released on, like, bail, 
there's still some stuff going on that we might need you to can't leave question state. you for. Um, he resided in an apartment complex in Rogers Park with Robert Little purchasing the furniture with the furniture within the property, paying the weekly rent, and purchasing a new set of tires for Larry's pickup truck. Shut the fuck up. Yes. Yes. So here comes Daddy Robert again. He's clearly looking for a father figure. Okay, this is where Larry officially fucks up. Um, on August 19th, 1984, so we're talking like six months, mm -hmm. six months later, Larry lured a 16-year-old um, Daniel Bridges to his apartment. The youngest of 13 children, Bridges was a neglected child and habitual runaway, who, although heterosexual, had been a male prostitute since the age of 12. Oh my God, how heartbreaking. Yeah, he, he killed him. He killed him. Um, the youth was bound to a chair with a clothesline before he was beaten, tortured, then stabbed to death. Larry dismembered the 13-year-old boy's uh, body in the bathroom. Oh, wait. Was he 16 or 13? What did I say? 16. 16. Sorry. He was a... Uh, 13 children. 13. Yeah. Um, and then he drained the blood before being placed inside six separate plastic bags. The dismembered body of Daniel was discovered by a janitor on the morning of August 21st. Once again, finding these bodies very quickly. The remains had been placed inside a garbage dumpster close to Larry's apartment within the same unit. He got really sloppy here. He just needed to get his fix. So, uh, believing the bags to have been illegally dumped, the janitor chose to remove the bags from the garbage and look at the contents. He clearly saw that. So he was arrested again. This is the last time he's arrested. He's now been arrested three times right. in this whole span of murders. And this is it. Um, he, in order to leave, so they went through all this. He hadn't, he hadn't, um, what's the word? Confessed to any of the other murders, but he was convicted for the 16-year-old kid's murder. In order to legally seek the death penalty, because that's what they wanted to do, the prosecutors at Larry's trial um, opted to charge Larry with the felonies of aggravated kidnapping, unlawful restraint, and concealing of the 16-year-old's bodies in addition to the charge of murder. Mm -hmm. So they really had to stack it up to try to get murdered. Right. I don't think Illinois has the murder, has the death penalty anymore. I don't know. I don't know. We'd have to look into that. Um, so he was brought to trial for aggravated kidnapping, unlawful restraint, murder, and concealment on July 1st, 1986. So he's been in jail for a couple of years now. He's been sitting there. He was tried in Cook County, Illinois. Um, here's the thing, though. In all the other situations, he had connections, money, and family support to back him. Right. He was broke at this point. So what fucked him in this case, I mean, clearly, you know, murdering people, was that he had to get a, um, what are they called? A public defender. Mm. That's what fucked him in this case. Because he couldn't use his money to get a good lawyer. Yes. So throughout this all trial, they have witnesses, they have personal testimonies, just like, you know, saying like, oh, he's a crazy mm -hmm. fucking psycho and all this stuff. Um, they have forensic psychologist coming in to profile him um all of the closing arguments blah 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 
Um, the jury deliberated for three and a half hours before returning their verdict. Larry was found guilty of aggravated kidnapping, unlawful restraint, and the murder of Daniel Bridges in addition to the concealment of the teenager's body. His face displayed, this is what's said, his face displayed little emotion as the verdict was announced, although his hands clenched the legs of his attorneys sitting on either side of him. So he was convicted. The penalty. On September 30th of 1986, both prosecution and defense attorneys outlined their arguments in relation to the sentence to be imposed upon him. These arguments, you know, concluded the death penalty. Mm -hmm. So here's the thing. He died of AIDS in jail. Let me go back to my notes. <laughs> of March 6, 1994. On his deathbed, knowing he was going to die, he confessed to 21 other murders. Now, they are saying, you know, all the rest is just, like, you know, legality shit, cross-examination, mm -hmm. all of this stuff. What's crazy is that the lawyer that he had had at that time, because he had a lawyer, like, throughout all the rest of his time, right. trying to do appeals and stuff like that, was actually a lawyer who was... Remember the documentary Making a Murderer on Netflix? Yeah. She was the lawyer on that documentary also. Yes. And so she couldn't talk about that. Like, he had confessed previously to all those murders to her, but it's, like, client, client counsel. confidentiality. Yeah. So, uh, Larry's a fuck. Um, he killed a bunch of people. Um, they found a bunch of more bodies. It was a whole thing. And uh, that's Larry Eiler. Who did he confess to on his deathbed? The attorney the well okay so he had told her this stuff previously but like i i guess i said confessing on his deathbed more of in like a sense of like he knows he's going to either go to the death penalty or die in prison mm. so like he confessed to the murders knowing that it would be spilling the beans after he was dead which he Got knew it. was coming one way or or the other right this was also in the 90s also like you know, the AIDS epidemic was still really big. The medicine wasn't there. So he was very quickly deteriorating in health and, and you know. horrifically. Which he deserved. Right. Which he wholeheartedly deserved. deserved. Right. Um, so I guess this is where I pose the question of being the product of an incredibly toxic household parenthood um, do we think that Larry was a serial killer based off of nature versus nurture? I don't know. I would have to get more information on the home life as uh, in his adolescence and his childhood. And that's what's like, I was trying to do a lot more information. So the majority of my information that I got was initially from Wikipedia. A lot of people know that you can edit that. Um, it's very well known. But even, like, some of the articles that I was looking up further from that were saying very similar things. I didn't want to say too much on his childhood because, like, a lot of the stuff, like I said, was coming from, like, I wasn't getting any concrete proof. Like, proof of legal shit of when he was doing the killings and when he was convicted. That's all, like, legal documents. Right. So, like, you can only speculate to a certain extent right. about, like, a true upbringing. You know what I mean? Yeah. So, so crazy to me because I guess in the early 80s of like going right up and down like 65 and 41, like 
my parents were in, you know, the Hammond area. My mom was still in high school. My mom didn't graduate high school until um, I think like 19, I think my mom graduated high school in like 1986 or 87 or something like that. So it's like, it's so crazy to think like, was this on the news? Were like people in my hometown talking about mm-hmm. it? Were people in your hometown, like were your parents hearing about this? And you know what I mean? Like, like the thought of a serial killer just possibly being only two hours away from, you know, where right. your family was. Um, I mean, it really hits home. You know what I mean? Like, this was a prolific serial killer. Like, he had a name. <laughs> like, they fucking yeah, named true. him. I don't know. That's just, it's so weird to think about because you don't think about it every day. Yeah. You know? So, yeah. um, it was a good find, though. Yeah. It was a really interesting find. Something also very interesting, um, a key point in his trial was um, boyfriend John mm-hmm. and Robert Little um, actually came together against Larry. Really? Yes. I found that very interesting. There wasn't too much information except they gave state like witness statements against him. Hmm. Um, I mean, I think at that point, you're kind of fucking yourself over as an acquaintance of somebody like this by not being truthful about certain things that you know or suspect. Yeah. Like how difficult though, like, especially for John, he was, he, he had young children. Um, this man was living with them for, you know, four to five days a week. He was intimate in his life and his family's life. I mean, and then there's Robert Little, too, who was, a, you know, a professor at Indiana University. Like, the, and this was all very big. Like, just because it's Indiana doesn't mean that it's not right. known of what's going on. Like, this was a serial, like a straight up serial killer. What do you do after that? Like, yeah, like when everything is said and done, how do you move on with your life? Yeah. What happens next? What's the yeah. next day look like? I would be interested, you know, for any of our listeners who are really into true crime, like if you can find any information, I mean, not probing into people's lives, because I'm sure after that, they just wanted to move on. Oh, I'm sure. Um, And then, you know, he died, like after the trial, like he died less than 10 years later. Um, You know, any, any like pushback that they got from any of the victims families like you knew something was going on or you know once again like the speculations that he had a partner um you know if any of our listeners wanted to dive deeper and find any outlying details or information lives afterwards call nicole at crime stoppers or email us at <laughs> so my 74 pages came in handy um sorry if i wasn't a good storyteller the first time around no you were great but this fucker i can understand why bailey sarian is so nonchalant about a lot of this oh, stuff for after sure. the fact because i'm like how oh, long has she been doing it fucking four four years yeah. at this point yeah i was over it reading about him like hour you know or minute 10 <laughs> like oh, i i got another it. killing cool. another killing cool 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 so i think that's it for us today um how do you want to end for the weekend well we're coming up on 
Fourth of July, Independence Day, Red, White, and Blue, America, mm. fuck yeah, mm. um, fireworks, hot dogs, makes me want a hot dog real, real bad. bad. Just be safe, don't be an idiot, um, be considerate of others too. Yeah, don't stab anybody in the eye with a sparkler. Or yourself. Or yourself. Don't blow yourself up. Um, Take care of your dogs. And just, like, remember, like, you know, America has a lot of work to do. So, like, we celebrate this day. I mean, I honestly, though, like, when I watch British Chinese food TikTok, I'm glad for Fourth of July. (laughs) Do you care to elaborate? Have you seen British? I can't deal with with like with the fucking eating, dude. I like, can't do it. I they can't literally do it. get on there. These British people are and they're like, "Oh, I got a Chinese. Oh, it's stunning. Oh, look at all these beige colors with the curry sauce. Like, what the fuck does curry sauce have to do with Chinese food?" And they say, "Oh, I got a Chinese. Like, what you you purchased a little Chinese man to come cook for you? They used to. Yeah, well." You know what? That's that's what I'm celebrating this fucking mm. 4th of July. And it's all, oh, salt and pepper chicken. Like, all the food is beige. <laughs> and, like, it, it all looks the same. Oh, oh, prawn poppers or whatever the fuck. Like, shrimp. It's all salt and pepper, mate. Like, salt and pepper chips. Like, oh, shrimp bowls. Shrimp bowls. But, oh, that's stunning. The curry sauce. (laughs) (laughs) That's what I'm celebrating this 4th of July is that we don't have much in America, but we do have good food. Guess what I'm getting tomorrow? Another fucking sesame chicken. Are you fucking serious? (laughs) You're done. We've went off the rails. We got to end this shit. If you think somebody's a fucking serial killer, you need to put in a fucking tip. Agreed. Okay. Listen to your intuition. There's a reason why you're feeling a yeah. little funky. Don't be fucking John. Don't be a Robert Little. Be a fucking Larry. No, don't be a Larry. Don't be a Larry. What 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 was the name of the ex-lover who put in the tip? Um Be that guy. Don't be a Larry. John. Was his name John? Yeah. They were all named John. A lot of Johns. I don't a like lot of this. very generic names <laughs> in Indianapolis in the eighties. Shocker. It's the face. All right. We'll talk to you guys later. Have a great weekend. (laughs) Bye. Bye.